My name is Kurt, for those of you that don't know me, and I am glad to be with you here this morning. I find it interesting, though, that um, every time I've asked, asked to preach, it's, it's something difficult. Um, last time I was asked to preach on conflict, and this time I'm preaching on disappointment. I don't know what they're trying to say about me, <laughs> but here I am. So how many of you have experienced disappointment? How many of you experienced disappointment with God? Okay. Disappointment with God can be one of the biggest obstacles for someone in finding their faith. A personal experience of disappointment, God not healing loved ones, God not stopping evil the way that you thought that he should. God not giving you something or someone that you thought you should have. My wife and I have been married for 18 years, and it's been wonderful, but it's not been without times of disappointment. One such time came an experience with mixed emotions and excitement, followed by fear and uncertainty. We were excitedly anticipating our first baby. As Amanda entered her 33rd week of pregnancy, we found ourselves rushing to the hospital. The doctor assured us that the baby was not going to come. Nonetheless, baby Elijah came anyways. He was a tiny four-pound baby. We not even prepared his room fully, we had no crib, no baby clothes, and no plan. He was in the hospital in an incubator. He was and on a breathing machine, as you can see there in that picture, hooked up to all these things. I, I was ex, you know, excited to be a father for the first time, and then at the same time, like, you know, here was my child all hooked up to all these machines. So he spent 10 days in the hospital, and then we're able to take him home. And then another surge of excitement, we're going to have another baby. So Amanda, this time we went to specialists and, you know, want to make sure everything turned out, you know, the way we would have wanted to this time, being able to carry it full term, and, and our doctor specialist assured us, yep, she'll be able to carry it full term. And sure enough, at 32 weeks, rushing Amanda to the hospital again, and she was ready to have another baby. <clears throat> so, I remember the times of sitting in that waiting room in the hospital with both of our children and praying for them. Praying that they could come home, praying that we could hold them. We'd run back and forth. I know Amanda ran back and forth to the hospital from all the way from, from here to Scranton and um, while taking care of our, our, our boy Elijah at the time. We'd be running back and forth. But Zeke remained in the hospital for 17 days um, because he refused to eat. And um, Amanda would show up and they'd say, oh, he keeps pulling the IV out. Uh, so Ezekiel's stubbornness started from an early age. 
as uh, he was pulling the IV out when he was supposed to have it in. Um, but eventually, after 17 days, Ezekiel was able to come home. We both felt disappointment through this period as we tried to juggle everything, and it was emotionally and financially draining. It was especially hard on Amanda, trying to recover from having a baby and then taking care of the boys. Our faith was tested in all this, but we grew together. We drew, grew closer to God and to one another. And as you can see, my two boys are in the back there right now. I'm sure they love that I'm pointing that out. <laughs> <laughs> so we praise, praise God for that. So even if you haven't lost your faith, I think we've all gone through seasons where difficulty and disappointment brought us to a place of wondering if God is good enough to follow. So, what do you do when God disappoints you? There's three options to really go from here when God disappoints you. Number one is lose your faith. You conclude, he's not really there. He's never really been there. And if he is there, I don't want anything to do with him anyways. Next, you isolate that question from your faith. So you still believe, but you, you try not to think about that question. You put it to the side. Because you're afraid to think about that question and be challenged because it would be painful for you to lose your faith. So you pretend like it's not there. You isolate it away. And, and what that does is that prevents your faith from truly becoming really deep. It, 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 it creates a superficial faith that doesn't consume your whole being. And that's what God wants is your whole being, your whole heart. And that's how you really can truly be restored. The third one is to press deeper into your faith. You let these questions that you're having drive you into a deeper relationship with God. You ask the tough questions. You struggle. You have doubts. You know, when, when, when I've went through some of these struggles in my life, those are the times where I grew the most. Those are the times where I drew closer to God more than ever. The depths of God's love can often be best known in the depths of despair. You can't know how deep the love of God is until you cry out to him in the depths of this despair. My pain is deep, but God's love is deeper still. And for some of you, the question may not be extreme. You may not be about to lose your faith, but you may be frustrated at God because things in your life are not going according to plan. Maybe all your friends are getting married, but you're not right now. Your friends are getting job promotions, and it's just not working out for you. I remember when I was going to graduate from BBC, which is now called CSU, and I was like, I'm going to be a Christian counselor. And 20 years later, I continued to counsel in the secular field. I've struggled with God within that. There's been times of disappointment. But you know, God has used me in great ways in that. 
wasn't my expectation. Maybe one of your kids didn't turn out right. Maybe you're like, God, by this time I was supposed to be enjoying my grandkids. And if you're honest, you're just angry about it. Maybe you're in your 40s and your husband just walked out. And you're like, God, I don't understand. How can this be part of your perfect plan? Or maybe it's deeper. And the pain caused by long-term suffering and pain, suicide, drug addiction, or overdose. I live in this hurt and pain with others each and every day. As a counselor, one of the most devastating things that I can experience is a suicide of one of my clients. And I've lost two. I'd say to God, I did everything I was supposed to do. Why did you let this happen? As I'd cry alone in my bed thinking of what I could have said or done differently to prevent such a horrific thing. The God of all comfort gives me the comfort that I need, but sometimes I'm still reminded of this pain. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture full of people who are having a hard time trusting in the goodness of God They all had expectations of Jesus that weren't being met, and they weren't shy about it. What we're going to see is how our Savior interacts with our doubts and disappointments. Beginning in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, what are they hoping for here? They'd seen Jesus heal. They knew that he could heal. He healed complete strangers. Why wouldn't he heal their friend? Here they're actually leveraging their understanding of Jesus against him. The one you love is sick. It's like they're baiting him and wanting to do good. Trying to pull on Jesus' heartstrings to get him to do it. It reveals right from the start that they don't have full confidence in the goodness of Jesus. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, It's for the God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Any of you ever, like, think about that? Like, you know, wait, he heard that that he was sick and he stayed two more days because he loved them? Before you read on, it's sort of confusing, right? Like, wait, wait a second, why didn't he just go and... Go really, you know, really quick and get over there. But it was the use of that word, so. He loved them, he waited. If Jesus loved, why would he intentionally wait? Moving forward to verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. 
but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Can you imagine Jesus rolling his eyes here? Really, guys? That's what you thought I meant? We're going to go on a two-day hike to, to, because he's taking a nap? <laughs> going on to verse 14, it says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she had said, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. I want to focus here on how Jesus responded to these two sisters in the story. Because the teaching in this story and the answer to our question hinges on these two reactions that Jesus gives. Mary and Martha, they made the exact same statement, verbatim. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus responds to them in two completely different ways. So please pay attention to how Jesus responds. I get really excited about this as a professional counselor because these two things that Jesus does, this is, this is what is necessary for life change. What do you need to overcome disappointment? Truth that cannot be shaken. So to Martha, he gives a theological answer. He says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says, Martha, theologically, what do you believe to be true of me? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? The one who has power over death? What we believe to be true of the character of God will determine what we believe God to be doing in tragedy. Let me say that again. What we believe to be true of the character of God will determine what we believe God to be doing in tragedy. If we are not convinced of God's goodness not convinced God can do no wrong, we will struggle 
every time a wave of difficulty comes our way. Our disappointments often rise out of God not measuring up to the type of God we imagined him to be. We thought something was true about God and experience led us to believe, to, to believe something different. We all have theological beliefs. Whether you're here today and you are a believer or not, you have theological beliefs. While I believe God to be who he has revealed himself to be in his word, you may believe God to be another way based on your own experiences. Maybe you believe God to be untrustworthy because the one time you really needed him to come through and heal your family member or get out of that situation but he didn't do it, and you believe he is a God whose word can't be trusted. We all have experiences in life disappointment, but if we're going to move forward in truly believing and following God and getting past our hurdles of disappointments, we need to believe that he is God, and we need to have a better measurement. We need a better measurement of truth than our own experiences. Martha's experiences were telling her that Jesus really wasn't who he said he was. Sure, she may have said the right things, but it, it hadn't taken deep root in her heart. She was filtering what she believed to be true through her circumstances, rather than her circumstances through what she believed to be true. The circumstance of Jesus being only two miles away, put not, two days away, put not doing anything to save her brother, brother overrode what she believed to be true of Jesus. Maybe for you there's been severe disappointment. What you believe God would do, what we need is a new anchor point. One where God is not defined by what we want him to be, but who he is revealed to be in his word. God gets to define who God is. This part about belief and truth and, you know, has, has much to do with um, the counseling realm and um, how one of the most important things in my counseling is, is to help people change the way that they think, the way that they perceive the world. And God's word helps us to do that, to align our thinking with what God's truth is. And one of the examples that I come across sometimes is that it's God's job to make me happy. That's simply just not true. It, it doesn't come from Scripture. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are those who are hungry, who are hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God, to be in a right relationship with God. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So it's not about, it's God's job to make me happy, it's about our job to pursue him 
and to pursue him wholeheartedly. In John 16, 33, it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the invitation in our grief and disappointment is to anchor our hope to immovable truth, the truth of God's word. The second thing we need in the face of disappointment comes from Jesus' answer to Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. This has the idea of bursting into tears. This wasn't a light form of weeping. This was an intense form of crying. Jesus wept with Mary. So Jesus responds to Mary with a love that is felt. To Mary, he gave an emotional response. What I find so interesting about this, like, did he not know in, in 10 minutes that he was going to rise Lazarus from the dead? I just find that so interesting. You know, he's, 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 gonna, he's getting ready to raise the Lazarus from the dead here. And, but he sits in that moment with Mary. He doesn't say, don't cry, I'll fix it, right? There's a certain point where we need to be, where, where the, uh, we need to be shown what the truth is. And then there's also a point where we, we need somebody to feel that pain with us, to walk through it with us. And that's what Jesus does here. He illustrates that point, that sometimes we need to simply sit and listen to someone in their pain. Listen, cry with them. Martha needed that intellectual response to correct her thinking. Mary needed somebody to cry with her. You see, even when Jesus knows the pain is temporary, he knows what it feels like for you, and he weeps with you. That's how I know a friend loves me. They weep when I weep. He can already see the beautiful end to your story. To see all the suffering is swallowed up in the glorious resurrection of what will be revealed. But when you've lost someone, as much as you tell yourself you'll see them again in eternity, it's still painful now. When you're lonely and hurt, it's painful. Sometimes what you need are not theological answers. You need the presence of a Savior who feels your pain and weeps with you. There was another time Jesus, in Jesus' life that he wept. But nobody was there to weep with him. The gospel tells us in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus wept with such great anguish that the capillaries in his eyes broke and he cried tears of blood. But no one would respond. The father turned his face away. He would ask his disciples to stay awake with him, but they'd fall asleep. He would die friendless and godless. Because of that, I know he will never forsake me. He was forsaken so I could never be. He died so that all that could have ever separated me from God would be removed. So I would never have to have a season of suffering where God would not hear me in my pain 
would not weep with me in my pain. He will never turn his face away from me because Jesus wrestled with death and took the full force of sting, of its sting, and its source, my sin. He took his sin upon him and he put it away forever. Moving on to verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He, will be, he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, if you remember, Martha had warned Jesus not to open the stone because it had been four days and the body would stink. But Jesus said to do it because when they did, they would encounter, what they would encounter was not the stench of death, but the glory of God. I think you see in this a picture of how God, in all pain, works for good. The curse of death and suffering touches us and we expect to find the decay of decomposition, but God has been working behind the scenes so that what you find is not the decay of decomposition, but the glory of recomposition. Sometimes you, you see that on earth. You go through a difficult time and you get to see, maybe years later, you get to see on the other end of that. You get to see what God's been doing and you see the blessing behind that and you see the good that comes out of that. There are other times where you, you may not see, see that. You may not see the other end of that. You may not know the answer to why. And that's why I always encourage people not to get too caught up with the why. Because sometimes we're not going to know. Sometimes we're not going to find out the why. But in the midst of that, God wants us to pursue him. See, because the key here. It's pressing deeper into your face. Seek to, know, seek to know what God's word says and grow in your love and knowledge of him. Find believers to encourage you in your walk and are willing to walk through that pain with you. We don't just want to go to church, right? We want to be the church. We want to walk with Jesus together. That's that's part of the purpose of our small groups, is that we walk through life together. That's why we're annoying you all the time with coming to small group. Because we believe in it, we believe that God has created us to be in community together. Recently, someone said to me, while going through despair and giving and receiving support, they said, I was having a bad week, she was having a good week, and now this week, I'm having a good week, and she's having a bad week. We can have all the faith in the world, but God uses community to help, help us through these tough times. 
So please don't do this alone. Don't walk through that disappointment alone. Get connected in a small group. Get connected with other people, um, other believers that can encourage you as you walk with God. We are not meant to do this alone. So for those of you that are disappointed, what if Jesus appeared to you and told you, this is for the glory of God, and he assured you that he loved you? You saw him weep in your pain, and he assured you that he was fully in control. Could you endure if you knew that it was all working for his glory and for your good? That he was fully in control and that Jesus was completely in love with you. Don't you think the next time Mary and Martha buried their brother, if that's what happened, they did so with the knowledge that Jesus can heal whenever he wants, and ultimately he will, and when he doesn't, he's fully in control and pursuing a greater plan that leads to God's glory and your good. Yes, I'm sure they knew that, and so can you. John 20, 31 says, it talks about, it tells you that all these things Jesus did were signs. They were simply physical, temporary demonstrations of God's eternal plan. Just as Jesus' absence did not indicate that he'd lost control or faltered in his love, his apparent absence in your life doesn't indicate that either. Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. He is there. He's always there. You might be in a two-day delay and you feel like Jesus hasn't shown up yet. Or maybe Lazarus has been dead four days and still no signs of Jesus yet. But hang on, he's coming. And his delay is for his glory and for your good. Your question may find an answer. Maybe it won't. But wouldn't you like to experience the loving kindness of a Savior while working through the disappointment, then be alone in your sorrow and fall into a lie about your life and God's purpose for you? Have you defined Jesus in your own mind? Or have you allowed God to define who God is? What's holding you back from believing? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We can never thank you enough for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. You gave him to be whipped and beaten and suffer and die, God, so that we could have life. I pray, God, that if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that they would come to know you today, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Because, God, we know whatever we go through that you are here. That all you want to hear from us is, I need you. And I pray, God, that you would help each of us to grow in our love and knowledge of you. Help us through our disappointment and despair. And may we come out on the other end, Lord, closer to you and stronger for it, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.